friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to share the latest in Austin FC news, including results from a, a kind of match, a scrimmage, along with this week's coach and player press conferences. We also have an interview with Brian C. Parker, who recently wrote an article for Texas Monthly about how Austin FC is already Texas' most popular team. Uh, I know last week we also mentioned we were going to have an interview with Victor Arisa that ended up not working out for this week, but we'll have Victor on soon. Uh, to give us a Houston Dynamo preview. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. I'm happy to be back in my guest bedroom and not in a backyard bar in uh, Fredericksburg, <laughs> Texas for this week's show. Yeah. Um, speaking of locations, the club faked us out with a location last week, didn't they? Yeah, they did. So we all expected there was going to be a scrimmage at St. Edward's on saturday and i think um well we were texting because both of us almost went how close were you to going to watch or to try well, and go watch <laughs> so i was only gonna go if you went first because i've already been asked to leave st edwards once by austin fc staff and so i didn't want to be the first one to go but if you went and they didn't tell you to leave i was gonna go show up as well and so you told me you weren't gonna you weren't gonna be able to go so i was like ah, i'm just gonna sit this one out <laughs> Yeah. So, but, but people did go, uh, including some folks in Los Verdes slack, uh, who <laughs> like showed up 20 minutes before with, with a completely empty field and um, like a goal sitting at midfield. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so how did the actual location come out? Um, I think it, it was, was o- Oklahoma city energies, Twitter account, which they were tweeting quite a bit like during the game. And so that's how most people were getting updates about the game, but they did like a little, like, pre-game b-roll footage stuff and you could see in the background like these nice new buildings and the pitch looked different and i was like i was at the facility in round rock for the austin fc academy match the other day and i think that's where that is and then someone else like commented and said like oh they're in round rock and so they pulled a pulled a little switcheroo and um i think someone from the club (laughs) mentioned that that oh we we didn't say it was going to be at St Edwards everyone just assumed that that's where it was going to be but I I've got receipts I went back and looked at <laughs> it's just the big reveal right here because you went you went looked that week first right and you know on the the announcement that week there was St Eds everywhere around but not yeah it was like on practice that. at St Eds this day practice at St Eds this day practice at St Eds this day and then uh, scrimmage versus OKC Energy no location mentioned. Uh, but I did, I went back and looked at one of the initial, uh, press, like press releases that when they announced they were going to be training at St. Ed's and it did say that the two scrimmages were going to be at the St. Ed's field. So I thought for like, for a while, I was like, did we just make that up? Did we just assume they were going to be there? But they actually did announce they were going to be there before. Uh, but omitted that fact in the announcements of the week of, and, um, in hopes of throwing us off their scent and it worked. And I honestly, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not mad. I thought it was really funny actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was really good. I think there were maybe what half a dozen people or so that ended up, um, finding location, driving up North. I think they had to like pump fake the security guard. Cause there were people blocking the parking lot. So we do have scrimmage results, but they're sort of all based on secondhand reports, which is what we should probably get into next a little bit. Cause they, they were exciting. And from what we know, um, you know, there's some players that really stepped up and, and made a big difference. Yeah. So the final score ended up five, one, uh, Austin winning, 
Um, the the first goal was scored by Oklahoma City, and they were actually tweeting out little highlights periodically <laughs> oh, yeah. there. And it was a banger. Like it was top corner free kick. And it was a really nice goal. And so like I was like, I'm not mad about that. But um I think the first they played two 45 minute uh halves, and I think the first half ended one nil. I think. I think Maybe it was I think it was right. one one. I think one one Luis yeah, Argu- right. Argudo scored the goal to make it one one, and that's when the first half ended. Yeah, and then um it's from reports. I think uh, Adrian Healy t- tweeted some stuff out and then some other like secondhand accounts of the game that Austin FC kind of bossed the second half. And that uh, it seems like people who players who people are assuming are going to be starters, more of those guys played in the second half. Um, and so that might have been part of it as well. But uh, it looks like there were goals from Luis Argudo, from Danny Husson, Rodney Redis, and then two from Kukutamane. Um, were, were there any moments in that little, so Austin FC ended up releasing a little highlight reel, uh, and it's from pitch level and like, it's hard to see exactly what's going on, but you can see who scored and like who assisted most of the goals. Were there any moments that stood out to you in that little highlight reel? Yeah, I I do. It was like watching a superhero movie fight scene a little bit, right? There was like (laughs) bodies moving and things flying and stuff. And it was hard to follow. And we do need to give, you know, I believe credit for the goal list goes to Chris, a Chris Bill's analysis of the highlight video. I think it's where we got all <laughs> yeah. the goals and assists. Um, but I mean, just you can see from the multiple assists, there's just like the connection in play, I think was amazing. You know, a, a lot of them are team goals. Several different people were involved. Um, I think Healy talked about some people specifically, and we talked off, off air a little bit at like how good Pereira looked um, for me, you know, Mane, the, the way he looked is, surprising because we don't talk about him a lot and you don't see him very often listed in people's like starting 11 but I mean he scored two goals and he's he was very active I think that was the thing that was most surprising to me like what stood up for you yeah so um talking about Mane it looked like it's hard to tell but it looked like he was playing on the left wing and in a lot of those goal uh, those goal highlights I did not see Cecilio so it makes me think that Cecilio played in the first half where the team was a little bit more disjointed. Um, maybe that's because of Cecilio. I'm I'm willing to bet it's be it's like the first time going out against any real competition. And from what reports we've heard, that it wasn't wasn't as many starters there. So maybe he didn't have the the top tier guys to combine with. But um it looks like Mane the the preferred position for him is on that left wing, which has kind of been his, his strongest position over time. Uh, one other moment that stuck out to me was Alex Ring just destroying this kid and taking the ball off of him and then dribbling forward and playing a ball into Mane for a goal. But uh, I, I don't ever think of Ring as like this destroyer, but it's good to know that he can do it when he needs to, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, also hearing uh, from from Adrian Healy and then from some uh, some members of those Verdes who were standing outside of a fence and giving giving reports back, but... They said that uh, Danny Pereira looked good, which um, he's someone who I've hoped was going to be really good. Just watching his highlights and and a few games from his college career. Um, I really like his style of play. He's really smooth. He's one of those guys who can just kind of turn his hips a little bit and and then run the other direction. And he's just got these these little nuanced bits to his game that I really like. And it's just a question of if it's going to translate to the professional game. And so. 
Um, I, Oklahoma city energy is not necessarily the, the truest test of that, but he, he is looking like he's definitely above the USL level. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's really encouraging to me and I'm really hoping that he's someone who can, can contribute this year. Yeah. I guess one thing I should add is after that match, there are certain corners of the internet that have been very critical of my position of wondering where all the goals are going to come from. Um, cause they came from all over the place, uh, during this match and there was a lot of connection. And so I'm willing to maybe, I'm willing to walk like half that back. Like I'm, I'm half as worried about where the goals were going to come from, uh, as I, as I was two weeks ago. And we'll see, maybe, uh, maybe when we get to these, the rest of the preseason matches that we'll talk about here in a moment, maybe I will be completely unconcerned, but you know, I think the way, at least for that day that they were able to translate all the things that Josh has talked about in the system. Um, and the way he wants to play and that they were able to execute on, on the field was really promising. Yeah. And like, that's like, Josh has said that before, right? He doesn't necessarily want one player to score 25 goals. He wants five players to go to score six goals a piece. Like he, he would prefer it to be that way and to have multiple contributors that you can rely on. And in one of the goals, I think it was the second goal by Danny Houston that you can see in that little highlight clip that I think, probably six players touch it in or around the box before the ball goes in, in the net. And so I, I imagine Josh was, was like drooling at that goal after, after so many players touch it and Danny just kind of like tapped it in at the end there. So um, yeah, it's, it's encouraging to see. I mean, it's, it's a USL team and I think a USL team who I'm not sure how good they actually are, but um, it's better than nothing, and which kind of transitions into the second uh, second point because Louisville City actually beat FC Cincinnati three nil last week, and Louisville City is who Austin is going to be playing on March twenty fifth in a in a second closed door scrimmage. And so, if we can if we can beat Louisville City, then by the transitive property, we are at least better than FC Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good. That's a good point. And that was going to be my one question for Josh on this week's press conference is where will the Louisville city uh, match be? But I have a feeling we wouldn't get a straight answer on that either. Well, I'd imagine if like, there's at least a fence around the round rock center, <laughs> which St. Ed's does not have. So I would That's imagine true. they'll just go back out to round rock again and just have a security guard. <laughs> so we think that's going to be a scrimmage too, right? Yeah, is, I is think that so. Plan? That's from what information we've seen, it seems like it'll be a similar setup to what they did against Oklahoma City. Cool. Well, let's talk about the for real preseason then, I, I guess, if these two don't count. Yeah, um, La Copita. La Copita. We saw the, the announcement of the best little cup in Texas, <laughs> which I think is really a cute name. So it's uh, yeah. all all three, what, all three MLS teams plus mm-hmm. San Antonio FC and Oklahoma City is also part of it too. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. <laughs> Which uh, there's a, I don't even know if I should mention this. Tell me if if I need to cut this out, Jeremiah. <laughs> the bold actually tweeted right after that that Oklahoma City Energy is their second favorite team in Texas, <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. Notable, notably excluded uh, team just southeast of here did not did not make the uh, the cup for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about this though. Like we, we kind of assumed that there would be some games just based on things that, um, that Austin FC leadership has said that we'd assumed we would see games against Houston Dynamo and FC Dallas. Um, and so this is it. And then San Antonio, I think is another, I think strategic reasons. There's good, 
good reasons to to play them. Um, partially for somewhat of a rival rivalry, like a regional rivalry, but also we already know that Austin FC is going to be on TV in San Antonio. So kind of competing for those MLS searching eyes, just getting in front of those fans will kind of be some more brand recognition there. Uh, but San Antonio, it, they've been a solid USL team for, for years now. And so I think they're, they'll be a worthy opponent um, for these MLS teams. Uh, so the Dynamo game is going to be April 3rd, and that's at St. David's Performance Center. This one's going to be closed to the public, but will be streamed on the newly announced Austin FC app. Um, then April 7th will be FC Dallas at Toyota Stadium. There's going to be limited attendance, and it will also be streamed on the Austin FC app. That limited attendance, I'm assuming, will be like, I'm, I'm guessing FC Dallas season ticket holders will get dibs on those. So I, Austin FC fans, I wouldn't get your hopes up of being able to get into that game, even if they do allow people. But, um, but yeah, we'll pay attention and see if that changes, but I wouldn't imagine any Austin fans will get into that one. Then the, uh, San Antonio match is going to be April 10th at the St. David's performance center. Uh, that one just says close to public. I don't believe they're going to be streaming that one. Um, and do you, do you know exactly why that's the case, Jeremiah? I don't know. Um, and I guess we should follow up on that because I would, I mean, if you have the ability, if it's at the center, you have all the ability to stream it. I, I would expect that you would see that too, unless they just, I don't know, don't want to take the risk of like playing an MLS team. I, I USL thought, team on video or whatever, you know, maybe that's they wouldn't want to get difference. Yeah. I thought maybe they wouldn't want to get embarrassed, like risk embarrassment by a USL team. But I think um, I was talking to Brian Mangum the other day and I think he, he brought up the point that there might be some weird like broadcast rights conflicts with it being between USL and MLS. And uh, so, yeah, I, honestly, I don't know, but we're not going to get to see that one. I think if it goes well, maybe we'll get in a little highlight reel like we did with the Oklahoma city game, yeah. but we'll see. Um, yeah. And I talked to uh, when that came out, I was talking to Tom Webb um, from Austin FC uh, sort of about the schedule and uh, I was like, well, you, you guys did a good job on keeping us, keeping us on our toes on, you know, the, the, cause it was the same day as the scrimmage, you know, out of that, but we're really excited about that Copita. And he said, well, bad news on that too. So it's definitely, definitely closed the public for sure was, was yeah. what that came out, but it's cool. Just getting to see him play. will be great. Yeah. And as far as um, on the moon tower soccer front, we're hoping to do maybe some special coverage of those uh, La Copita games. So stay tuned. We're, we don't have it entirely worked out yet, but we're hoping to do maybe some special broadcasts around those. Uh, we'll, we'll let you know though. Um, speaking of FC Dallas, uh, some of the, the non-existent Texas rivalry is starting to, to become existent on Twitter, I believe. So uh, uh, FC Dallas, Twitter account posted that their uh, their player, a defender in Kosi Burgess, was going to be dyeing his hair. I it looks like he's like a player who is known for having different colored hair, um, and they said he's going to dye his hair, and that the most mentioned color would be the color that he picked, and he would dye his hair that color. Uh, I think they learned real fast that they shouldn't do polls like that because Austin FC is going to jump on it and vote Verde every time, and so. I believe if you counted the colors in the in the mentions there, Verde almost definitely won. <laughs> oh, by a lot, yeah. And <laughs> I think that I think the first 
Well, okay, I want to go back a moment because they it didn't even just say the most mentioned color. It said the most mentioned color other than orange. So they specifically <laughs> excluded the Dynamo, but they did not mention Austin FC, which gets back to this little brother discussion that we've had, you know, more than once. So, I mean, that was all the more reason to go ahead and promote Verde. But yeah, I believe the Los Verdes post was the most frequent vote. And then the Austin FC um, response was the second. And then I think maybe the top 10 or something all the way, like eventually they got to red, which is, you know, one of, one of FC Dallas's colors, but yeah, definitely it was a Verde takeover, um, which involved then led to your average, like Twitter garbage posting and reaction from FC Dallas fans. Yeah, it was pretty good though. Like I, I just can't help but believe that this is going to be a trend moving forward is them trying to do something fun and us ruining it for them. <laughs> we are absolutely here for, I think that's fine. I think it really, yes. which, which I think, I, yeah, I tweeted about it when it happened, but it really was a good follow-up to onto Sam Jones uh, comment about how we would win some Twitter polls and everybody would hate us. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't, wasn't expecting it to happen a week later. Yeah. Um, so there's another cup that has been announced as well. So Copa Texas has been announced by the Texas, uh, the, the supporters groups from all the Texas clubs. So Jeremiah, you're in leadership for Los Verdes. So tell us about some of the details of this. Uh, yeah. It's something that, uh, that folks have, t- well, first that folks have talked about for a while um, that we, we wanted to have a, some kind of cut between all three supporters groups um, and kicked around a bunch of names and, Many of them were very dumb, um, but we managed to get connected with the Copa Tejas people, which is a actually a, a group that was started out of USL and the USL teams in Texas have done this in 2019. Didn't happen in 2020. I'm um, actually Austin Boulder, the current holders of those, but they they came to the MLS supporters groups and talked about you know will we like to to have like the MLS version of Copa Tejas, which is really appealing because it's already ready made, and so a group of is uh, the both the Dallas supporters groups, both the Austin supporters groups, and then three of the four Houston supporters groups jumped on board and then just announced today that Copateos is going to be um, a thing among the supporters groups. So don't know what the couple look like. I'm obviously a very strong advocate for something we can drink out of as opposed to something to, as opposed to just a display. <laughs> Cause if you think about, you know, in the supporters shield episode, we wanted, we talked about that. You can't drink off of shield. Yeah but you should be able to eat local food off of it. So I think yeah, if we could have like barbecue right. and tacos in the supporters shield and like chug Lone Star out of Copa Tejas, that would be like the most Texas experience you could possibly have. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. I love it. Um, and and as far as like who's, who wins it, it's pretty basic head to head. Whoever has the most points in, in all the, the games that the Texas teams play against each other. And then there's a bunch of tiebreakers after that, but essentially who is the better Texas team in those games against the Texas teams? Right. Yeah. Just among the Texas teams. I'm assuming, I guess we don't know exactly what the schedule will look like, but I would imagine we need to play everybody twice, maybe. Well, they're in our conference, so we'll play them twice. So we'll play them twice. Somebody will keep scoring a whiteboard and then whoever has the most, uh, most success out of that, will get a, get a big cup to drink from. All right, let's move on to the the weekly press conference with Josh Wolf, and then the two players this week were Julio Cascante and Alex Ring. So, um, what are what are your general thoughts on on Wolf's press conference, Jeremiah? I just think overall, um, this maybe goes against something we said before. He just seems more relaxed and comfortable and confident every like every every time he does it. So this time he was kind of he was like leaning sideways and he was smiling and he just really. Yeah, he, 
he, he seems to be happy. enjoying it. Yeah, he looked really <laughs> happy, you know, and he's he's he seemed much less coached, you know, much more off the cuff. And so I think he's like he's really settled in, um, you know, enjoying what he's seeing on the field. You know, he's still he's like he's still super technical and talks about the system a lot and things like that. But yeah, he really seems to be sort of coming into his own as, as a coach. That was the the biggest thing I got out of that, just in terms of his overall approach. I know, you know, you got you got a few notes too about specifics. So maybe you can get into those. Yeah, I think one thing, um, like seeing him relaxed and happy like that makes me think that just training is going well and that he's happy with the direction the team is going. Um, he also mentioned, he, he mentioned several things, but one thing is, uh, that Cecilio and Danny Husson are developing a really nice connection, which is something we've talked about on the show before that Danny is a forward who likes to drop in and combine with midfielders. And Cecilio's a winger who likes to cut inside and combine with, with more inside players. So I was hoping that would be the case. And it's something that he specifically brought up unprompted. So that sounds like, like it's going in a good direction. Um, something else that came out not long before this is that uh, the Slovenian left back that Austin FC signed, John Kolmanich, uh, was named to the U21 Euro roster for Slovenia. And so he's actually he was set to come here on March 15th, I believe, and ended up just staying in Slovenia where the tournament's being hosted. He's going to stay with them uh, during the group stage, which is March 24th to the 31st. And then I believe he'll be coming to Austin after that. So sometime in April, he'll be in Austin. And then the knockout round of the U21 Euros is going to be May 31st to June 6th. So if they make that, he could potentially be going back to Slovenia to to finish out that tournament. But um, Wolf said that he's like someone asked him about in the the press conference. And he said that he's excited for Kolmanich to be playing that kind of competition. Like he could, he has a right to be a little bit upset that his, his shiny new toy is going to be delayed a few more weeks but um but yeah he said that he's excited for for a young player like that to be playing in a strong competition such as the u21 euros so uh anytime you can get that kind of your players that kind of competition he said we're going to take that and we're going to let them do the, those kinds of things so uh yeah he, he should be here like i said in early april um what about the the player interviews so julia cascante and alex ring were there any anything of of those two guys that stood out to you uh well, one thing, poor poor Julio. I think he had a baby. When like he's like a four month. I think old? he said four months old. Yeah, yeah. He he seemed tired, which I can imagine. <laughs> someone who's had two four months old, you know, I can imagine. Like he was really, um, yeah. I mean, I think I think, you know, I liked what he had to say. Um, he was he was really positive. You know, he he talked about um, everybody being involved and moving the ball forward, which actually ties back into a little bit you know, to our conversation with Stuver, um, about how everybody's, everybody's involved in the attack too. Um, I thought that was good. Uh, one note I wrote that, that I got from you is that you think he's a very handsome boy. And I think we're <laughs> supposed to, we don't probably have time on this show, but at some point we can have like a, you know, who's hottest thing among the, yeah, maybe I'll like do a, a lot of candidates. A, I'll do a Twitter thread of who's, who's the most handsome Austin FC boy. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> he, honestly, he took a lot of questions in Spanish, which I could not follow. Um, I know he, t- he talked about the team really connecting too. That was the other thing I got out of it. Yeah, so I, I, a lot of the like the Spanish uh, answers were going back to some of the same points, but um, I think something that you always hear uh, from any team, really, if a new team hires a new coach, the first thing that coach says is we, we want to play attractive attacking football. That's what all of them say. Um, 
Josh Wolf says he wants to play attacking and possession focused soccer. And I think whenever he says it, you have to believe it a little bit more, right? Just because of his pedigree, like coming up under Burhalter, that's what he's going to do. Like he's going to play a possession game, even if it doesn't work, he's probably still going to play a possession game. So uh, hearing the players talk about it, um, Cascante seemed very impressed with Wolf's tactics and the dedication to every player contributing in the attack from the goalkeeper to the center backs all the way forward. Everyone's going to contribute to the attack. And so it's not just the thing that that he says in a press conference and then they're parking the bus during a game like they're going to try to keep the ball and move the ball. Uh, and whether that works or not, it could end disastrously and not work at all, but he's damn sure going to try is what it seems like, which is, is exciting to hear. Um, another thing he said, I don't remember if this was in English and or in Spanish, but, uh, he, I saw an Instagram post or a tweet or something from Julio a while back saying it said like whenever the, the numbers came out and he said, same number, new meaning or something like that. Cause he was number 18 in Portland. And his number 18 here. And someone asked him why he chose the number 18. And he said it's because his son was born on November 18th. And so he decided to keep that number when he moved to Austin. So I thought that was a nice little story as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was really neat. He, he, luckily they were not, I think they were not in Austin during the winter storm too. I remember that would be another question that came up. So I guess I think they came in later than that. Um, the other interview we had, which I think we expected to be super boring. I remember last week we talked about maybe <laughs> Alex Ring would be sort of very coached up and uh, maybe not really super interesting. But like I thought, he, I thought he was. I think no, he was I, first, I agree. Yeah, first first player to swear. Or I don't know if he actually swore or if he like he started, started to and to. stopped. Okay, yeah. So he caught himself. But what what did you take away from the Alex Ring press conference? Um, he uh, people were kind of asking about his role in the system and and like about being a captain. Um, he said that he doesn't, he, he said he's, he's going to see himself as a leader regardless of who's wearing the armband. And so he, he mentioned that there are lots of good candidates for being a captain, um, on the team. And that's a decision for Josh to make, but he said like, that's not going to change how I act really. I'm, I'm going to be a leader. If I see something that I can speak up about or help out with, I'm going to do that. That's the player I am. And I think that's the way that a team should be. So um, that's, that's kind of cool to hear. And then as far as the tactics of it, um, he said that the system that Wolf plays is not so far off from what Patrick Vieira and, and Domi Tarant were doing in New York when he was playing there. So, uh, it seems like he's not had that much of a learning curve stepping into this system and he's getting to play that s- number six role, which he did under those two, those two managers and did really, really well under them. So, um, that was interesting as well. I think one of the most interesting things that came out of this was uh, him talking about contract negotiations in New York, yeah, he which was, is a thing that I don't yeah, think he was we really heard frank. before. Yeah, he was really frank about that. I was hoping that you would get into that. But yeah, cover cover what he talked about there. Yeah, so he, he said that um, I think someone asked, like, was it a surprise to come to Austin or like, what was that transition like? And he said that they were like, his contract was coming up and they were trying to renegotiate it. And he said it was just the way that it was going with, with New York that he knew that he was going to start looking other places. So apparently he wasn't happy with, with the numbers that they were offering him. Um, and so him and his agent started, his, his agent essentially started shopping him. And when they, they started talking to these other teams that Austin was, was one that stood out. And, um, 
and so he said like i would have liked to have retired in new york like i would have liked to to play my my whole career there but i'm also really excited for this new challenge and so i i really appreciated how frank and honest he was in that bit of it just to not he he didn't lie and say like oh yeah i wanted to leave new york he's like no i really wanted to stay there honestly but i'm happy to be here too um but that makes me think that looking at like what his salary was in 2019 that's the last confirmed number we have was just under a million dollars i think we're probably paying him significantly more than that if um if he was renegotiating that contract at his age and his level of play like he deserves more money than what he was making because he earned it and so we're probably paying him more than what he was making in new york yeah um one other thing that he talked about that i want to get into and then i, I want you to cover your tweet uh that she which is a quote from mike Vermeulen, but um, before that, one of the other things that he talked about was the difference between playing in Europe and playing in the United States. Um, and he hit on a point we've talked about before, in that you have to be good for like a month, basically, as a club, uh, which is to our advantage. If you can just make it to the playoffs, then you never know what is going to happen. And I think that's a real that's really good potential for an expansion team, an especially expansion team that that plays a lot in the second half of the year, like we talked about last week. Um, is it like just finish? sixth, seventh, whatever. We don't know how many playoff spots we're going to have, you know, make it into the playoff tournament and you never know what's going to happen. I thought that was um, it's interesting to hear that from a player. Yeah, that was where he almost cursed. He said the, the regular <laughs> season doesn't mean sh- anything. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. But yeah, talk talk about his uh, why you're super excited about him after seeing some data visualizations about it. Yeah, so uh, the I had I'd been high on Ring just from kind of the eyeball test, just watching him play. Like I liked how he played and thought he was really good. But uh, Mike Vermeulen, who is at I Kick Numbers on Twitter, and he's been doing uh, I think fifty data visualizations on MLS leading up to the start of the season, and there's been some really cool ones. But one of them was about Alex Ring specifically, um, or that was kind of the focus of it. But it's two graphs here. One of them is the the y-axis is um, defensive tackles and interceptions, and the x-axis is loose balls recovered. And you have this long, stretched out like like pattern of players. And Alex Ring is on the far end of uh, loose ball recoveries, with I think like four or five other players um, in the league. And so that's his defensive work. And then the second one is key passes versus passes into the attacking third by midfielders. And so passes into the attacking third, that can be just like a really basic, like pass up the, up the wing to a winger into space. That's not really a dangerous one. And then key passes is, I think it's something that like puts you into uh, an attacking area, like a useful pass. But again, he's on the far right end and he's, he's not, uh, I probably just an eyeball like 10th or 12th in this list as far as like the people who did it more. But again, this is coming from a number six. And so um, some he's a, a player who is going to contribute in defense and in the attack. Uh, and that's a very valuable thing in this league. So that's something it just kind of validated what what I saw from the eyeball test and what I think I what I thought I liked about him is being confirmed in these numbers here. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into, we're going to get into our interview here with Brian Parker. Um, but I think that there's a event upcoming that we have to talk about just because of the name of it. 
uh, and that is La Merga de Austin. It's going to have uh, a big event at Zilker Park called Merga at the Moon Tower. We'll be at the Moon Tower at Zilker Park on Saturday, March 27th from 6.30-ish to 8.30-ish. You know, I think it's going to be sort of dependent upon uh, around dusk. Um, but it'll be a good time to get out, you know, meet some people, drink some beers, talk some soccer. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about Merga before. So you, are, are you like officially like a retired member of La Merga or yeah, talk I, think, about your I, th- I think so. Yeah. I, I, I was extremely involved, uh, in 2019 and then, um, the like pandemic hit and everything. And then the, like lots of stuff happening. Right. And so I always kind of knew that there was going to be like a, a breaking point where like I needed to choose one thing to do. And I like, knew that like doing a podcast and uh and doing the morga and keeping a wife were not all three going to be compatible things to do and so i kind of like knew and i had told like the morga leadership that that was going to be the case but anyway because of the pandemic i just hadn't been around them very much even though like they had been rehearsing in small groups and kind of doing what they could um given restrictions and and just kind of safety um, over the, the last year, but I went out to Southern Heights for their open, open rehearsal. And it was the first time I'd heard them in person in probably a year, maybe over a year. And I was very impressed. They sound so good. Like there, a, there's a lot more of them. I think there are 20 musicians or so out there, not to mention the capos who are yelling and the people waving flags. There was probably 30 or 40 people, uh, all together as part of the performance. But they're loud. The drum section is really tight. They sound really good. And it got me really excited to hear what they're going to sound like once you get them under that tin roof at, at, a, at McCalla place. Yeah, that's, that's, it should be really, that should be really cool. Um, <clears throat> one of the last times that they actually did, did a thing, we did that. Uh, we were at Oscar blues last year. We did that podcast where um, just like out at the picnic table where we interviewed Phil West, who we're going to have right. up again before too long. Um, but yeah, that's probably one of the last times that we've seen them do anything. I think that, and, um, the drive-through thing was probably it. So anyhow, if you're listening, if you want to see some really cool music, which people haven't gotten to see in a while and check out La Merga, uh, again, they will be at Zilker Park at the Moon Tower this Saturday, March 27th around dusk. So go check it out. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into that interview with Brian C. Parker. So so Brian wrote an article for Texas Monthly titled How Austin FC Became Texas's Most Popular Soccer Team Before Ever Playing a Match. Um, and it was it ended up being a really interesting article. And I think uh, he's admitted like self-admittedly, he's not a soccer person. And so it was interesting to get his take on why Austin FC has been so successful in the city so far. Um, and yeah, I, th- I thought it would be a fun contrast between the interview with Sam Jones that we did last week. So uh, I hope you guys really enjoy this interview. I thought it it turned out really well. So we'll be right back in one minute with Brian Parker. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. 
You can go to fvf.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. Our guest today is Brian C. Parker, who is a freelance writer for publications such as Texas Monthly, Austin Monthly, and SF Gate. Brian, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Um, so first of all, just tell us a little bit about your background uh, as a writer, and then tell us how this this story came about, this Austin FC story. Sure. Um, my background as a writer is, is too long of a story, but the the quick version is um, I started writing because I love music. And living in Austin, I, yeah, I moved here in 2001, and didn't really ask for a permit for anything. I just started going to shows and writing about them on a blog that I started. So that was the entry point. Um, and that turned into writing for, you know, outlets and magazines that were, that were not my blog. And um, from there, I just tried to diversify, I think, because I'm interested in a lot of different things. And music is certainly a, a, a central passion for me, but sports as well. And I've written about city government and film and um, travel, um, you know, I, I guess it sort of runs the gamut. Um, so yeah, I guess that's me as a writer. Um, this article in particular, um, I have started to write about sports more and more. And so with Austin having its, its first major league franchise, I felt like I, I wanted to get involved in, in that storytelling to so, it somewhere. And, um, I'm not a soccer, you know, soccer is not my, my main knowledge base in sports. Um, but, you know, I was just thinking about um, what, what, what story I saw unfolding. And, and the question I really had was, how, have, how has this team become so popular in, in such a short time? Um, because I understand popularity, but, you know, um, it, it, there wasn't a ton, right? The team didn't exist. And yet still there were selling out jerseys and selling out tickets and a waiting list to get tickets. So, um, and you see stickers everywhere. So people were very um, immersed. I mean, I called a, a buddy of mine who I just know as a soccer friend and said, um, you know, hey, do you, yeah, do you, did you like buy jerseys and everything? Yeah, trying to get a sense of the level of commitment people had. And he was like, I don't have the exact list in front of me, but it was something like, yeah, I have two jerseys, two polos, three scarves and four hats <laughs> or so. It was just like, you know, uh, I, I, almost a dozen pieces of merchandise for the team. And uh, I've heard that so, yeah. some, some idiots have even been doing a podcast about this team that didn't exist for several years now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, but I love that. And so I think what I was drawn to is that fervor and, and just intense commitment to the team. Um, and, and for me, that was the story. It was really a question, which was, um, how did the team become so popular so quickly? So you you just said that you weren't uh, not really a soccer person, which I I think makes this article even more impressive that you did such a great job writing about a topic that you weren't entirely familiar with. But we had uh, a writer for MLSsoccer.com last week on the show named Sam Jones, and he was writing some articles about Austin. And so I thought it was really interesting to get his take on like what he saw about Austin fan culture as someone who knows about the league, but doesn't know that much about Austin's story or like how this all came about. And so I think having you on is kind of a contrast to that as someone who knows Austin really well, but is not necessarily a soccer person to get your takes on it. So what, what did you learn about why Austin FC has been so successful so far? 
Yeah, and, and it is really interesting to look at it from those different vantage points. And so much of the story that I saw unfolding was um, people who were really immersed in soccer um, or people that were explaining soccer maybe to those of us who aren't. So they were still explaining the game and the fundamentals and the rules and how many people were going to play. It was very technical, at least some of the coverage that I saw, not all of it. but And I was more interested in capturing just the, the story of it, less the technical aspect, but what are people feeling as they as they get invested in this? Um, and I think sometimes being a lay person or, or, or being an outsider is a way to translate it to the rest of the world. Um, and it, it sort of allows you to see it with fresh eyes. I mean, one thing I, I pride myself in as a writer is to try to just dig and just do the research. And I'm always like, I can probably find one more source to like add color here. And, uh, you know, usually my editors are like, you're, you're 20% over, stop doing, stop researching, you know? Um, but I try to just dig deep. And so, um, you know, I, in an email as my editor somewhere along the way, I wrote, you know, I'm a little over count here, but every, every stone I turn over, it feels like is a, is a new part of the story that is integral to this story. Um, it's connected to one thing I really wanted to say when I talked to you, which is that, the main comment I've seen, you try not to read the comments, you know, but, and I never respond, but you see like the people's ideas floating out there on Twitter. And the main thing I saw was people saying, well, duh, it's easy. You know, there's no other competition. You just put the team there and it's going to be successful. And uh, that's how everyone sounds that makes that comment. Um, and, um, and, you know, I just think that's really untrue. And, and I, I think I found that when I, when I looked at what was going on, it's not that simple. And there have been other teams, whether in this sport or otherwise, that have expansion teams that aren't as successful and they don't have a lot going on in those cities either. It's not so simple as just putting a team there. There was so much to this. And, and everywhere I looked, it was something different. You know, and that's kind of laid out in the article. But to sum it up, um, you know, the demographics certainly are the centerpiece and that's that's at every stage uh you and i talked about age when when we talked about this and the age demographics of the city um perfectly align with with the age demographic for mls um and then it's the, the racial diversity in the city um it, you know austin is is still a, a fairly homogenous city in some but it is diversifying and the latin american population here is is very familiar with soccer it's it's an international sport um, and, and so that's a big part of it. Um, and then transplants who don't have affiliation to the University of Texas are part of it, um, as well as people who are coming here for tech, which I think is sort of like young people and interested in something new. Um, and I didn't really get into it, but I also read several articles about just the national trend away from football generally, which I think actually is a part of it too, that kind of didn't make the cut, um, because of you, you can only fit so much in there, but, um, I think in every way, what's happening in Austin is intersecting with the success of the team. Um, and then on top of that, I do think the team has done a great job with marketing. Um, and they were very smart to, to lean into the culture of Austin and not sort of take the hard road. It was it's sort of like the path of least resistance, like water course, right? Just finding where the water needs to go and then just getting out of the way and letting it settle, settle naturally. And I think the team has done a great job of that. Um, you could imagine uh, a, an approach where someone has the what good idea, but it's a bad idea to say, we really need to carve our own identity, you know, and it actually ends up working against them. I think here the team was really astute to sort of um, think about how they could align themselves with the existing culture of Austin. And I think they did a great job of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to me, there were just so many facets. It wasn't so simple. And, and of course, the overarching thing is, yes, you're the only professional or the only major league franchise in town. 
but I think that's a far too simplistic answer. I wonder if those people read the article, probably not. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I, you, you mentioned just like finding a way for the brand to fit within the existing context of Austin. I think part of like the first right step they made was um, using Butler Brothers to to create their logo and kind of do that initial branding just because those guys are Austin. Like they just like, they've been here their whole lives and they just know it so well and know everyone in town and know all the brands in town. And so I thought that was the right first, first move, but I, Jeremiah might can speak to this a little bit more, but I feel like those of us who have been paying so much attention for so long have been somewhat critical of, of the marketing efforts sometimes, but I think it, it is because we're paying too much attention and that when you like hear someone from the outside, come and take a look at it and like re like what they've done over the last six months to a year is actually pretty impressive. And they've, they've, they've done a really good job. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, I'm be interested to hear, hear your thoughts on what parts of it rub you the wrong way, but <laughs> I, I think, you know, I, I really appreciate you shouting out the Butler brothers and I should too. Um, I exchanged an email with them uh, and, you know, I think they, they, it goes way back. And I think where, where the team is now and, and, and talking with James Ruth and, and some of the other folks in marketing, you know, um, I think I'm catching the team at a certain point. Um, and I, I mentioned the Butler brothers in the article, and I know that it started with their, their logo, but, um, yeah, I, I think it, they might've wanted a little, a few more lines on the Butler brothers in there. And, and, uh, you know, I, I hope that I was sensitive enough to that. Um, it, it does start with Austin people. I mean, it, and, even going back to that, the origins of creating the logo, when it was un, uh, unveiled, um, I think Kathy Sievers, who uh, is Fort Lonesome, she does the chain stitching on Fort Lonesome, mm -hmm. um, you know, was a part of that initial rollout as well. And, um, you know, yeah, th there were there were several Austinites that, that they pulled in from the very beginning. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I felt like that was successful. I'm curious about your take on it now. What, which aspects of it, when you say you're watching it too closely, what, what felt like, did it feel inauthentic or? No, I, I think we were, I think early on we were um, impatient with how, like how little they were doing because to us, like this is the biggest thing happening right now. They should be doing more. They should be doing like reaching every corner of the city to do all this stuff. And like, honestly, it was probably like a good idea to keep their powder dry until they had like more to actually do. And like, it's working fine. And so I think just there was a stretch for a while where we didn't understand why they weren't doing more. Um, yeah. But it seems on, to honestly, me like, it, it, like it, it really organically took root. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I remember reading the articles when when it was a possibility. I mean, so, you know, I try to follow the news. As I said, I'm not, I haven't been embedded in the MLS really, but I, I do try to follow what's happening in Austin. And, and I, I remember when this was all unfolding as well and the, the vote went down and, you know, um, so, but it seems like it really, it seeped into the culture. And, and I think that that's a, a way to create lasting fans. I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think it also speaks to to what's hopefully, um, you know, not a group of fair weather fans. That these are people that are going to be really committed for the long term. Um, I mean, I think that's something that other fan bases have dealt with. You know, is is maybe it's exciting for a minute, but um, seeing this level of excitement before the the season starts, before the inaugural season starts, 
really suggests that they're going to be stalwart fans. And, and that, I think that's exciting. So, so speaking, I was going to ask, speaking of the other cities, did you, did you look into that? Did you hear from Dallas or Houston folks sort of about their experience? I know Houston got off to a really strong start and it kind of fell apart, but can you contrast that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, Houston moved. So it, it's not quite the, the same story as, as being a true, uh, a true expansion, right? And so they had that success right off the bat. Um, and, and obviously that's, that's really exciting. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's almost a curse in some ways. It's like all downhill. And I I think it was almost just like unfortunate. Um, and you know, one Dallas fan uh, makes it, makes an appearance in the story with the tattoo. Um, and, and, um, I, I think that what, what he and I talked about echoed what I saw from most of the, the research I did on Dallas's football club. I mean, they, you know, putting Q2 Stadium where they did, I think, is is the sort of opposite of what Dallas did, um, and and it's, I don't know, it doesn't feel as ingrained in the city. And I understand that they have competition there as well, you know. But I think there was an, an ability to sustain that. Um, but yeah, Dallas fans certainly feel disenchanted and frustrated. Uh, I mean, the team has seems to be um, cultivating great players, but not maximizing them, um, and and. Um, actually, I think one of y'all might have said this on a, on a podcast, uh, but it is sort of um, maybe this will make them t- take it more seriously. And I think it's, it, it, it was a pretty uh, biting way of putting it. Um, you guys were <laughs> trying to start a fire here. But yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. I think that, you know, now you're going to have to really um, hang with with two other clubs in the state, not just one. So. So. Um... I imagine you learned quite a bit about soccer culture and about soccer, but did doing this story teach you anything about Austin as a city? Did you learn anything new about the city? Um, I, I mean, I haven't been outside in like a year. So, um, <laughs> you know, in a way, yeah, I learned a lot about the city um, because I was like, I, you know, I, I toured the stadium and I was like, holy shit, a stadium, you know? Um, so I learned there's a stadium. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think that, I think that the scale of this, of what's changing in this city was, was made more apparent to me. Um, you know, it's that thing where when you're in it all the time, you, you see it happening, but it doesn't really hit you as, as a weight. Um, I mean, like I said, I moved here in 2001 and the skyline is almost unrecognizable now. And so really seeing how much the city has, has truly changed, I think, um, was revealed to me in kind of a new way. Um, but I, I think that I've sort of been around a lot of this and maybe that's why I was able to kind of see the stories. It's been percolating. I mean, I would go to these bars, you know, for various sporting events, whether it was watching baseball or football or whatever. Um, and I did watch some of the, you know, the, the national teams, men's and women's over the years, uh, I went out for those events. And so I, I kind of saw this percolating through the culture. So I don't, I don't want to um, say it didn't teach me anything, but I, I feel like more than anything, just, how much has changed and laying that out in a really um, clear way to intersect with this story. I was like, wow. Yeah. Austin is, you know, kind of in a different league now. So uh, going back to the title of the, of the story, can you remind me what the full title of it was? Yeah. I, and I don't even, it's funny because I think I suggested some titles that were similar to this. A lot of times as a writer, you're like kind of just throwing out some ideas and then there are headline writers that'll do that, but it was, yeah, how, how Austin FC became the most popular soccer team in Texas before ever playing a match or without ever playing a match or something. Yeah. So I wanted to ask about like, have, have any Houston or Dallas fans 
gotten after you about the title because I I love it. I thought it was great, but I figured it was going to rub a few people the wrong way considering this was in in uh, a Texas-wide publication and not just an Austin-specific one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it is a, a bit of a bold title, no pun intended there. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I I they really haven't, which it maybe is a little concerning for those, for those <laughs> clubs, you know? Uh, I think there was, well, again, like just kind of scrolling the comments, but not engaging, you know, there was uh, somebody who just posted like a, a dynamo gif, I think, of somebody like, you know, doing a number one or something, you know, like uh, there's been a little bit of a, a little light pushback, but no one really getting heated or, or uh, really affronted. And I think, I think that kind of speaks to what we were saying. I, I kind of think Dallas and, and Houston might be kind of shrugging and like, yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's, that's facts, you know? Um, so our, our colleagues at the striker who write for write about uh, Houston and Dallas will say the same thing. They say like, yeah, Austin's going to make, make these other teams start, start working a little harder, which is good. So um, I, yeah, I guess before we wrap up is I just want to give you an opportunity to like, are there any other takeaways or any, any other interesting points you wanted to hit before you finished? Oh, um, you know, I, one, one thing I think, I don't know why I'm just so consumed with this. I think it's because so many people thought that the answer was obvious, but I, I also meant to mention, you know, that it wasn't MLS, so it's different, but that wasn't the case necessarily like this, this stratospheric success or interest. If soccer was so big, like we didn't really see that around the bold or the Aztecs. I mean, so in other words, soccer has had an opportunity to take root here and, and hasn't. And I know MLS is different, but I think that speaks to the, the fact that there, there is more to this story. So I, I guess I would encourage people, soccer fans or otherwise, who maybe glimpse the story, you know, and you know, to go read it. It really, there are so many moving parts to it and it's interesting. I should have plugged it more at the top, but Texas Monthly is where the article is. And, and I'm a freelance writer for them. I don't, I don't work for them. So these, these thoughts are mine. Um, but, but um, yeah, other than that, I'll plug myself a little bit. I have another article coming out about a musician who's also an ornithologist. And um, I, like I said, I, I like to write about a little bit of everything and I'm interested in telling the story, but it's another one that's a very interesting cross-section of uh, culture, but rooted in uh, birds and Texas and uh, <laughs> a musician who made most of his music in Texas. So um, it's going to be, I, I've been working on it for literally months now and um, it's going to be a good one. So sorry to plug birds and music on your soccer podcast. That's great. We love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not the most random thing that we've talked about, so it's fine. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, um, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, y'all. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. This has been great. Thank you, Brian. All right, we want to thank Brian C. Parker one more time for joining us. I I was really uh, he mentioned in the in the uh, in the interview how he just likes to go down rabbit holes and likes to keep digging and keep digging and so. I I think I talked to him for his inter- when he interviewed me on a like a weekend morning, maybe a Sunday morning, and I told Ashley I was like, yeah, I've, I've like done some of these interviews before. He's gonna talk to me for five minutes and pull a couple like a couple of quotes and throw them in somewhere, and that's gonna be that. And I ended up talking to him for like twenty five or thirty minutes on the phone, <laughs> and I could tell by the way he was talking about it and the questions he was asking. And then like I'd mention a story, and he's like, oh, can you give me that person's phone number? 
can you connect me to this person? And I was like, this is going to end up being a really cool story. So I was, I was pretty happy with how it turned out. So y'all go to Texas monthly and read that article. Uh, uh yeah, we... but I was thinking Landon, even like off mic, I think he talked about, uh, how much he loved the Tammy Gam episode of this <laughs> yeah. podcast of moon tower soccer, which if anybody's <laughs> into that one of, of, which I think he said was his favorite of the ones he listened to, yeah. you know, that, that lets you know, he's a detailed guy. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd also like to remind you to visit the Striker Texas website. Uh, one article we'd like to point out is recently that George Murray wrote an article about the uh, Academy, which has had good results so far. And um, We don't talk about it as much because there's so much Austin FC news going on. So the Striker Texas is a good source for that information if you want to stay up with everything that's going on. If you want to continue the soccer conversation, come find us on Twitter at LVAHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX. You can also find Jeremiah on TikTok doing all kinds of fun dances. <laughs> um, no. I don't think that's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, come come talk to us. We always love, love having the conversation. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode. We're going to be back in one week with an interview with Joe Lowry, who... Uh, if you listen to Total Soccer Show or MLS Assist, you'll know Joe. He's someone who I really enjoy his work, so we're excited to have him on the show. Um, we'll be back in one week with that interview. And so until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Nobody is around.